the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. What we're going to be talking about tonight, guys, is uh, confronting the imposter, or today, confronting the imposter spirit. So let's just talk about this real quick. So where I'm at in life, I, I, I do a lot of reading at this point. I've been reading a lot more. And when I say, like, reading, I mean, like, like reading, reading, like, things that I used to make fun of people for, uh, like Solzhenitsyn and Tolstoy and, like, psychological books, The Neuropsychology of Anxiety. It's like scientific books, and so it's deep reading, and it's fun, and so as I've like dove, in, dove, in, uh, dove into that, uh, and I'll just share with you before we get into the message today, I'm a little, I have a little bit of uh, nervousness about how this message will go, because I've never cried so much sermon prepping in my life, like not because of what I was writing, but because it stirred something so deep in me that is a truth that I've always felt and that I'm trying to get out and get it organized. And uh, so I, was just, I would just literally be sitting there just typing, listening to worship music and crying by myself, uh, which is definitely not the norm for me. I'm not a big crier, despite the fact that I get up here and cry pretty regularly. Uh, so, so what I would say when we're saying confronting the imposter spirit, I'll give you some, some background to that is, uh, so I learned about something called imposter syndrome. Raise your hand if you ever heard of that. Anybody in the room? So imposter syndrome. So the Lord just impressed on my heart. There's a difference between a spirit, meaning the enemy, right? A demonic spirit and a spirit of. Does that make sense? So we can manifest in ourselves a spirit of something without any help. Like we're perfectly capable of that alone. And so instead of giving credibility and credence necessarily to the people that came up with the idea of the imposter syndrome, which I really appreciate their intellectual minds, and I don't know what their heart attitude was, but let's reframe it and say, hey, this revelation came to someone who God created. So we're going to take imposter syndrome. We're going to just say, hey, no, we're not going to call it that. We're just going to call it the imposter spirit instead. And all we're doing is we're taking the natural and bringing in what we believe in the supernatural, and we're joining the two. Make sense? So a practical look at belonging. So essentially where this comes from, and I'll, if you want to go to the next one for me, Christy, this is, a, uh, this is a syndrome that affects anywhere between 9 to 89% of people. It's a pretty broad spectrum, right? That's medical science right there. 9 to 89%. So, um, and and that's, that basically ranges from how tightly you consider somebody having imposter syndrome based on the symptoms, right? Um, so there are characteristics associated with it. So I want everybody, if you, I'm going to go through this list. If you hear one that you've experienced in interpersonal relationship, in your job, as a parent, as a child, anything like that. So as I go down the list, I just want everybody to raise your hand if you hear one that you've experienced. So we have self-doubt, inability to realistically assess your competence and skills, feeling stressed, anxious, or depressed from <laughs> feelings of inadequacy, Berating your own performance. I'm going to keep my hand up the whole time. Fear that you won't live up to expectations. Overachieving. Sabotaging your own success. Setting very challenging goals, then feeling disappointed when you fall short. I always said I was going to be in the NBA, then I was short. Feeling uncomfortable with receiving praise or congratulations. I don't know if anybody in here has ever given me a compliment. 
It's got to be more uncomfortable for y'all than me. So I'm just like, uh, I don't know what to do with my hands. So as you can see by this list, I, I would say 89% is a pretty low standard for who it affects, right? Did anybody not raise your hand? Because we'll pray for you after. Everybody good? We're on the same page? Okay. So from this, guys, so this is literally, this is in a book. It's a doctor's book. I didn't go to doctor college, but I could read. So I found this. And if we go to the next slide, so your first manifestation of this is called the perfectionist. So perfectionists are never satisfied and always feel that their work could be better. Rather than focus on their strengths, they tend to fixate on the flaws, on any flaws and mistakes. This often leads to a great deal of self-pressure and high amounts of anxiety. I'm going to raise my hand again on that one, right? So the next one, so we have the perfectionist. Let's go on the next one. And we're just going to jump through this real quick. We're going to just push through this. So the superhero. So because these individuals feel inadequate, they feel compelled to push themselves to work as hard as possible. I might, might represent myself as well. So the, the expert. So these individuals are, are always trying to learn more and are never satisfied with their level of understanding. Even though they're often highly skilled, they underrate their own expertise. The natural genius. So these individuals set excessively lofty goals for themselves and then feel crushed when they don't succeed on their first try. Can't identify with that one. So the soloist. These people tend to be very individualistic and prefer to work alone. Self-worth often stems from their productivity, so they reject, often reject others' assistance. They tend to uh, see asking for help as a sign of weakness or incompetence. So I've never felt so exposed in, in front of a group of people in my entire life at all. And I'll share this with you to say, my thing is, as I was going through this message, one, I was able to identify more things in me that I know exist, that I'm, I have been aware of somewhere in my mind. I've seen the, the difficulty of walking out of truth but I haven't been able to give language to the truth. And so when I learned about this, and as I've put it into words, and as I've brought it into my heart, what I would say is it has manifest not just knowledge and information, but victory in my life. Now, it's not current victory, because I still struggle in these areas, but I'm walking in a greater measure of victory than I was before I read about it. Does that make sense? So th it's victory. We don't... We, we, whether you win by one point or a hundred points, victory is victory, right? So we can't aim so high. I don't know if y'all saw that one, right? Set an unlofty goal that's so high that you feel disappointed when you don't achieve it on the first try. It's like, oh, no, I didn't beat this by a hundred points. But I did beat it in that moment, in that decision, in that emotion, all right? So let's talk about my personal story. So I'm going to bring up a couple of references, and I just want to, what I want to highlight to you is, what I think what made me cry the most as I was working on this message is the same thing that makes me cry when I come up here and talk about kids. Um, it's the same thing that makes me cry almost all of the time, which is there's something about when the natural, the way God created things, meets the supernatural and it reconciles as still true, I can't help but cry. I don't... So... Something that God designed before the foundations of the earth with so much forethought and understanding is true in science and psychology and all these things. And everybody can agree. They don't want to attribute it to him. But when it meets the spirit realm, when heaven meets earth, it's still true. I just cry over it. 
It just stirs a thing in me. It makes me want to go to nature. Doing this, I've spent more time by a body of water than I probably have in a month because I just, as I was doing this, I just needed to see his creation. So, and I'm going to try not to go too, too long today, but so to share with you all about kind of my personal story, I'm trying to figure out how do I sit where I don't have my back on anybody, but I'm not facing the middle of the room. So the other day I taught from a chair and it made me not walk back and forth 386 times and it felt really good. And now I'm sitting differently than I, there were people only in front of me the other day. And so now I got to account for these folks. Uh, sorry, my personal story. Uh, so my personal story. So I was a policeman for 12 years and every time I talk, I kind of bring it up. And what I would say is like, it's hard to bring back life experience without going to the things that shaped you the most. Um, and that season of my life, obviously, from 22 years old to 34 years old, it's a pretty growing season, right? So almost everything you're learning, you're spending so much, so many hours, and what I did was so high risk, high intensity that a lot of my lessons that I've derived come from it. And so I'll just share, I guess my story was this. I, I literally worked night shift in North Baton Rouge. I was a SWAT guy. I trained everything you could train. I was literally the guy who taught every single thing. You all saw the, the expert, right? I taught every single thing that I could find to teach because I wanted to know the most about it and make sure I could do it the best. I was one of, in a 700-person department, I was one of four people that shot a sniper rifle and one person that trained the snipers to shoot sniper rifles. I went to multiple schools, all these things. Despite all of that, deadly force encounters, being a policeman, critical incidents, praised, medal of valor, medal of merit, letters of commendation. I walked into a room with other police officers and literally every day was thinking one day they'll figure out who I really am. One day everybody will know that I don't belong here. To the point where, despite all of that success, I literally got brought in with our command staff to get told like, man, this is not for you. You're messing up all the time. I was so in my own head. I had so much anxiety built around this sense of being an imposter in every room that I walked into in pretty much my entire life. But this was even greater because of the, the level of intensity it was at. And we had this meeting and they decided, hey, we're not going to. I'm not going to ask you to resign, right? That's how they put it when you get kicked off, right? We, at, we encourage you to write a letter of resignation. So shortly after that, my commander came to me, and he, he pulled me aside at a training, and he said, hey, man, we chose you. We saw your, your capacity. We saw your competence. You sat in a room with us, and you spoke clearly. You passed every test then be that person we picked. Don't be this person that's showing up every day. And in that moment, I had to confront that because all he was saying is, you belong here, but you don't believe it. Period. I'm not saying I figured it out that day. It was probably literally five years of, as I saw more truth in my life, I walked in more truth and freedom. And so what I would share with you is I'm not the only one that's experienced that. I would say in some capacity, every person in some component of their life, if you saw this list and you can check more than a couple boxes, experiences that. It is the human condition. It, is, it goes all the way back to the beginning. So I want to pick a couple of examples. So 
the first is going to be Moses. And I'm going to run through this real quick. And I, I use scripture because you're supposed to do that when you teach. So in Moses' story, let's preface this real quick. Moses, obviously, the uh, Pharaoh wanted to kill all of the uh, Jews at the time. All the firstborn boys. It goes back to, obviously, more scripture. Let's not dive into all that. The gist of this is this, though. Moses was raised in Egypt by the Pharaoh's daughter. Okay? Period. So let's preface this. In Egypt, raised by a king's daughter in a royal family with access to all of the things that come with that. All right? He then kills somebody, leaves Israel. He kills them in defense of the fact that he knows he's a, he's a Hebrew or a Jew. And he sees the injustice. He ends up killing somebody. He leaves and runs away. So God comes to him and calls him. Okay? And here's his response. So God says, I've heard the cry of my people, and I see how the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now I'm sending you to the king of Egypt so that you can lead my people out of his country. But Moses said to God, I am nobody. How can I bring a king, uh, go to the king and bring the Israel, Israelites out of Egypt? God himself appeared to him in a burning bush and told him he was somebody. And his response was, I am nobody. Now, I don't know the entire history of Moses, except for I've watched 11 movies about it that have gotten all of the factual data wrong. But I do know this, that I can imagine you live a life of an imposter when you're surrounded by a bunch of people in a royal family that you don't belong to. And it would be really easy for all those things to build in you. And then later when called on by God himself to go, man, you got the wrong guy, right? So Moses says that. So then it goes on, and, he, and, and we skip a couple scriptures where God basically argues back, and he says, um, God says, my, piss, my people will listen to what you say to them. You must go with the leaders of Israel uh, to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord the, uh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has revealed himself to us. Now allow us to travel three days into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. So here's where it gets a little uh, interesting. So what I'll share is this. In that time where God's convincing Moses, you're like, no, man, you're the guy. He tells him to throw a stick on the ground, turns it into a snake. Tells him to put his hand in his shirt, turns, makes, basically makes like leprosy or some other type of disease. Tells him to put it back in and pulls it out. God's like, man, like I'm showing you that you're the guy. And I'm showing you that I'm with you and I'm giving you the tools, right? And Moses responds back. Go, go to the next one, Christy. Then Moses answered the Lord, but suppose the Israelites do not believe me and will not listen to what I say. What shall I do if they say that uh, you did not appear to me? Keep going. And then essentially that's where the Lord does all of the, the miracles. He says, hey, look, this is what you're going to do. You're going to tell them about these things, right? The Israelites. And then he says to him, uh, and he says, do these things again. So if the, the people of Israel don't believe you, just do these things. I'm pretty sure they're going to believe you at that point. It's pretty awesome. Turning a snake, uh, stick into a snake. So Moses said back, no, Lord, don't send me. I've never been a good speaker, and I haven't become uh, one since you began to speak to me. I am a poor speaker, slow and hesitant. The Lord said to him, who gives a man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or dumb? Who gives a man his sight or makes him blind? Is it the Lord? Is it I? It, it is I, the Lord. So he finishes. He says, now go. I will help you speak, and I will tell you what to say. But Moses answered, no, Lord. Please send someone else. 
so let's just say this. I would ask you to give yourself some grace if y'all struggle with any of this. He was in the presence of God. I don't know about anybody else in the room. I've never had God speak to me in an audible voice. I've definitely never had a bur burning bush that couldn't be consumed in front of me. I haven't stuck my hand into my shirt and got leprosy and then pulled it back out and I was good. He didn't believe it. Well, I'm just like, give yourself some freedom here, right? To be like, man, are you sure I'm the guy? Right? So essentially after that, the Lord, it, the Bible literally says, and then, and then the Lord became angry with Moses and said, cool, man, you're still responsible. You're still capable. You're still committed and sent, but you can take Aaron since you don't believe me. And you are responsible for it, but Aaron can talk for you. He didn't say, okay, cool, good, give up. He said, no. He said, cool, if you don't believe it, I do. I picked you. You were chosen. I created you. I see your capacity and ability. You can take Aaron with you. So the next one is the story of the prodigal son. So I, just for the sake of time, I'll push this through, through both these pretty quick. So the next one's the prodigal son. So Jesus is teaching, and if we go on to Luke 15, so in Luke 15, Jesus is teaching, and he's talking to uh, a group of people, and he uses parables, and I love how he does it. Usually when he's asked a question that's like a no-win question, he answers it with a question. That's beautiful. It's like the, the best tactic ever. So he's on, this, he's on this tear with parables, right? So he goes to this one, and he talks about it. And I want to give some or preface to this. We've heard the prodigal son's story, and we're talking about the imposter syndrome. So I'll ask you just real quick before I jump too far into it. Which brother would you say has imposter or potentially would have a spirit of an imposter? It, it's not the one that left. Okay? The one that left knew he had access to everything. The one that left decided to walk in the fullness of what he had, whether it was the fullness of who God created him to be. He took access to everything that he had and squandered it. But there's this other brother, and I'm going to, we can read through this scripture. I'd say if you can skip Christy to uh, 28, which is like three slides. So the other brother is in the field, and it says right before this that the dad was celebrating the prodigal son coming home. And during that celebration, he said, kill the fattened calf, let's cook it, and then let's eat it. And then all of the servants and all of the people were there. And they were celebrating the son coming home. And it says, it said, meanwhile, his other brother was in the field working. So everyone else had called it a day. Everyone else that was forced to be there that didn't have to work above and beyond had called it a day. But he's striving in the field and he comes home and it says, um, the other brother became angry in 28 and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father and said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My slide's not working. So the father responds, um, my son, 
the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. So think about that for a second. You can literally be living in an imposter lifestyle and just waste away. Here he is. He is the son of the father. He has access to everything, but he's never believed that he has access. He hasn't taken on the identity of a son. He's slaving away in the fields. He's working as hard as he possibly can instead of just living under his father, instead of just walking in who he was called to be. So in, in our first example, you have Moses, and he'll admit it, right? And so in, in us, there are places where we'll admit it. My question for you, B, was what, what is the place where you're walking in that, but you're not admitting it, and it's just stealing life from you day after day after day? I'm, you're not celebrating with your friends because you're too busy in the field working. You're not enjoying what's in front of you and around you, and you have access to everything, and you're not taking it because you're too busy slaving and working. And that, that's a really good example of it. And I'd say the, the, the last example would be Judas. And I'm just going to I'm going to charge this one. I can put any scripture up because of what I would say is it's it's easy with Judas to get a little bit um, of a disagreement going because there's scripture that prophesies that Jesus be betrayed. And there is this general thought within Christianity that Judas was like preordained to go in and mess everything up. So what I would say to you is one in Luke 14. Jesus says, hey, unless you pretty much hate your mother, father, children, everything, you, to be my disciple, you literally have to elevate what I'm doing in such importance that nothing else matters. And Judas made it into that group at one point. So I don't, I'm just going to push this one through real quick. I'm not, I don't want to serve a God who somehow set Judas up to always be the betrayer and he never got a choice. I don't know how to explain it differently other than I have a very long paradigm that I work through. But I don't, that's, that's not a good father. So it just doesn't align with who I know God to be in my heart. So we're not going to say that Judas was foreordained before the foundations of the earth to betray Jesus. And that, that that's why he was this tag along 12th disciple. There were actually 11 disciples and then the betrayer the whole time. Make sense? So if that's the case... If that is the case, then with Judas, what is the difference there? What did happen along the way? So they specifically reference, the only, he's the only one that they reference that says he was the treasurer. So he pulled, somehow he figured out there was work involved in being a disciple, right? So we can read the story with the, um, the oil poured over Jesus' feet. And everybody wants to say, oh, it's because he was greedy that he would say that it was horrible that she was doing this thing. Well, when you're an imposter, you either have one of two choices. You go to the group that you're with. Moses did this, right? He found somebody good and healthy around him. He found Aaron who, Aaron didn't even ask questions. I don't know if y'all ever read that scripture. Aaron, God told Aaron to go. Moses is like, hey man, I turned a snake into a stick. My hand became leprosy and it became better. Aaron knew who Moses was. Aaron believed that Moses was capable, competent, and was worth following. So he just did it, whether Moses did or not. So to, to assume that Judas was always this like sneaky, conniving guy, something took hold of him. And what I would share with you is like when you're in a group like that and you have the imposter spirit, you don't feel like you belong regardless of how many times they tell you you're, you belong. And then you work and you toil and you become the treasurer. And then you, you, you tell everybody, oh, this person's doing this thing. And you can't stop talking. 
you just can't stop talking because you're trying to work through everything. Now, I'm not saying that Judas had an imposter spirit. I'm saying that it is possible that someone directly with Jesus every day at that level, which the imposter syndrome or spirit generally manifests in people that are high achievers, that are driving and striving and working hard, right? So they, they, it's called self-sabotage, right? We saw that. So do you have to know you're self-sabotaging? Or can you just do things from a broken place that end up messing you up? You don't have to know you're doing it. You're not like, oh, man, I'm making sure that I'm, I'm getting kicked out of this group. And so what I love, and, and next time you read this story, I would encourage you to read it, is go back and look at like the, the non-absolutes. Look at Jesus saying to Judas, you're going to betray me by giving him the bread. And then look at him go to the garden and sweat blood. Is Judas going to? Was there still a question mark there? I don't know. Anyway, mystery on the side. Sorry. I get, I get distracted. So let's talk real quick about science and technology. So this is where I'd say I get excited about this stuff, and I'm going to hit this real quick. So in these stories and in these circumstances, what I'd share in my life specifically, who here has done the wrong thing, messed up something that they could fix, that no one would know about it, and it didn't impact anything. So you're in your job, you mess something up, you can fix it. No one needs to know about it. And it's not, didn't violate a policy, you didn't ruin something, it didn't cost the business more money than you're authorized to cost the business. But you felt the need to go tell somebody about it, specifically your boss, right? So what I would call that is this. I'm betraying my former self to make my current self feel better. Make sense? You're not just you. This is science. You are the you now. You're the you that you're thinking of in the past. You're the you in one minute, the you in five minutes, the you in 10 minutes. You're the you at 60 and then 85. All at the same time. So when we go into these places and we, we're, we're trying to decide, well, do I go tell my boss about it? Ask yourself, which you are you serving? Because if it's the you now, is that the you you want to serve? That is the root of the imposter spirit and one of the roots. It's this. I feel so much anxiety right now about how horrible and insufficient I am if I tell Cole about it. He doesn't think I'm as bad as I think I am and he's going to give me feedback that makes me feel better. But in doing that, I've lowered Cole. Cole doesn't actually believe less of me. He's just like, oh, Paul's a normal person. But I'm betraying myself. Okay? So the second part is we have two minds. So here's where it gets real interesting, all right? And it gets me excited. So thinking about the imposter spirit, I want you to think about something. So in the imposter spirit, we have the accuser, who's been the person that they think about what they just, they leave a meeting or they leave an argument or they leave a circumstance that had some intensity to it that, that was the culmination of your level of, of, um, of value and importance in a circumstance. Could be in relationship, could be in work. And you leave it and, and on one shoulder you have this, this voice saying, man, you, you use the wrong word. Um, and everybody in there noticed that you had spinach in your teeth. You are not even capable of being there. Do you know who was in the room with you? Did you look around and see who was in there? It is this 
analytical, thought-oriented, only the details that serve me in, on this shoulder. And then on this shoulder, you have what is your defender. Who's experienced that guy that's like, man, don't listen to that dude. He doesn't realize that you have all these other things going on, right? So what have we seen? Who's seen the movie with the angel on your shoulder and the, and the devil on your shoulder? Anybody? So we've seen that. Let me tell you, God made it. It's literally in every single brain and every single organism down to a single, like, you know, plankton in the sea. No brain by design is symmetrical. They have two hemispheres, every brain. And by design, one side is responsible for one thing and the other side is responsible for something else. And the accuser side is responsible for things that's supposed to be. And the other side is responsible for seeing the whole picture, evaluating artistic, creative, thoughtful, right? We're perfectly capable. There's literally no one more uniquely equipped to punish you than you. So we give the enemy a lot, a lot of credit. He doesn't, you don't need his help to convince yourself you're less than you are. And so what I would say is this, as we're working through it, is it's what I'm telling you is, and this is what gets me so excited, and this is the reason I wanted to teach on this today, is this. When we look at psychology, and when we look at therapy, and we look at all these things that are manifesting in, in the world, like I shared earlier, and we evaluate them, and then we weigh them against the voice of our Father and the truths that we know to exist. The enemy has done a good job of telling us, no, no, that's, that's science. Disregard it. That's psychology. Disregard it. But when we meld the two together, and when we, when we truly say, for whatever reason, and what I would say is it's manifest across all of creation. You have day and night. You have good and evil. You have all these forces that are in the opposites. It's his design. And within your own brain, it's designed that way. Now, is it designed for you to be in conflict and have imposter? Absolutely not. But what it does is this, and I'll, and I'll share this. So a good example would be this. When you're a child and you see a school bus, you see a school bus and you see the stop arm and you notice that it's yellow and you notice it's a purple bus and then you notice there's kids inside and you notice that it has windows and it has wheels and they go round and round and it has windshield wipers, right? We sing a song about it. That's when you're a child. Well, then as you grow up, that's the right side of your brain. As you grow up, you take all of that information and you go, oh, that's a vehicle. You put it into a category with other vehicles. This is science, right? Put it in a category with other vehicles. So now you just see a vehicle. Well, and then you categorize it further. You're like, oh, that's a vehicle that's associated with schools. And then you categorize it further. As you get older, you start driving and you say, okay, that's a vehicle that's not going to crash into me. So it, it goes from just a vehicle associated with school to it is a non-threatening vehicle when you see it. And then you go beyond that to where when you look at it, it is just non-threatening. And because it's non-threatening, it's nothing. And then you're driving down the road and you don't even see the school bus. That is the importance of the left side of your brain because if not, 
you literally could do nothing because you'd be too busy trying to figure out what screw that is on the school bus, right? At 47 years old, you're literally looking at a school bus trying to figure out why, how that scuff mark got on there and everything else. It's God's design, guys. It's beautiful. It is the reason that I get so jacked up and I start crying over this stuff. Is like he literally made it. It's what we do. It's what we do with words. It's what we do with our spouse and with our children. We literally go, oh, they're crying. They're not crying. Why they're crying doesn't matter. What made them cry doesn't matter. How I was involved in that crying doesn't matter. They're in the category of crying. And is it crying that's my fault or their fault? And if it's their fault, then I dismiss it. That's the left brain, right? And then you have the right brain, and it's doing something different. It is God's design. So what do we do with that? If you want to go to the, uh, Christy, if you want to go to the imposter screen. So imposter, raise your hand if you've ever seen this. Raise your hand. I know the young people have. All right. So this is a game, and I want to share this with you. It's called the imposter game. So I put this up here. Usually it says crewmate at the top, and it says there's like one imposter among us, or there's three imposters. So let me share this with you, and I want to close everything out with this. The imposter is literally what they call a game that your children spend hours of day playing. And here's how the game works. The game works like this. Everybody goes into a room and they're waiting their turn to be the imposter. And then there's all these tasks that are supposed to occupy everybody. So if I, so I'm getting occupied by all these things. And by getting occupied by all these things, it frees the imposter up to roam around and rove and find a way to kill me. Okay. Now, this is a manifestation of like all the fun games we played as a kid. President, you know, if y'all think about camp games, right? You you played cl- the board game Clue. Here's here's where I get, like I said, I get jacked. This game is so popular because it is a direct manifestation of all of us. That somebody captured what happens in your brain when you're in a group of people so perfectly. And made it a game that you play hours of it. It happens in Disney movies. They've captured the essence of the hero and all of these things so perfectly that in that story that you're drawn to it. And so what I'd say is, what do we do? So we have a to-do list. What, I, leaving from this room, what do you do? So we've shared all this information what do I do with it? So step one, what it says when you leave the room is stop betraying yourself. And when I say that, I really, I genuinely mean it. When you feel anxiety and you're trying to decide how do I eliminate this anxiety, if the answer is to betray your former self, your current self, or your future self, then I wouldn't do it. Think of another solution because it might take the anxiety away. But it, it is the imposter. Now, the second part would be number two, and that is, I I love it. Sorry, my screen didn't change and I'm dumb. Uh, (laughs) Evaluate to to what and to to whom you give your influence. So it used to be said, guys, that, that you're the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. Who's heard that in the room? Let's discard that. That's not true. You're the, fu- the, you're the sum of the five things or people you give the most time and influence to. And if it's Instagram or if it's YouTube or if it's anybody else, it doesn't matter which five friends you're spending time with, you're not giving them as much time as somebody else and something else. 
So what I would say is, if you look back at our stories, you have Moses. I was blessed, and I'll share this with you on these two. I was blessed with a mom who, at probably five or six years old, would talk with us every night, and she would, she would, we would invite God into our dialogue. We would talk about our dreams, and we would talk about the things that happened in our life, and she would encourage us to just ask God what he thought about it. And then when we didn't hear God's voice, she would literally just say, well, what are your thoughts? She demystified the experience of inviting God into your dialogue. When you invite him into your thoughts, he might not speak audibly, but he is speaking because you've given him a voice and influence in your life. And so as you make that a practice, it becomes a habit to invite the Lord into your thoughts. So that would be the first one would be stop betraying yourself. So we're building, right? The second one would be do not be careful who you give your influence to and your time to. Pick an errand. Who's, when you tell him all these things and all the reasons you can't do it, he says, cool, man, I'm going to follow you anyway. My life has been more changed through relationship with Landon and Stacy and David and uh, Vicky and Micah and other people that I could name on a long list who listen to me tell them all the reasons why I'm inadequate and incapable of success in my life. And then they just go, cool, man, that's, that's great. I, I still want to go with you. I don't know where we're going, but it's going to be good because you're not all those things, and that's not true. But what we do when we give our influence to people on social media who are stealing it from us through an algorithm that, algorithm that decides what are the perfect words to say, what's the best thing for me to say right now, and they don't care about you, they're just stealing from you. Okay? So that's two. So number three, be honest. Be honest. So... This is the last one I would say, and I'd say this one's been most revelatory for me. In every one of these stories, we want to believe that we would be Thomas, or we would be Peter, or we would be Aaron, or we would be Moses. But let me just tell you something. History would say that you're potentially Pharaoh, and that you're potentially Judas. And until you confront now, this is a weird thing to say in opposition to struggling with the imposter syndrome, right? Because now we're talking about this. Until you can be honest with yourself, like Moses did with God, and like Moses did with Aaron, and like Judas didn't do with the other disciples, the potential and capacity for you to be the exact opposite thing than what you read and think is there. And if you don't agree with me, look at history and look at the Germans. And look at history and look at every single group of people who started with great intentions and ended up wrecking the world. You have it within you to be the opposite thing that you want to be. So step one and step two are your defense for step three. Make sense? So I want to close, and what we're going to do... Um, I'm going to share a prayer that I just, I grabbed hold of probably at 22, 21 from a group called Streams. Um, and this guy, Reese Saunders, I don't remember stuff like this, but it just took hold of my heart. He had everybody in the room pray something over themselves. And I want to just share with you that science has reached a point where they can literally tell you there's a difference between your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Science has reached a point where they can 
ask you certain questions and, and bring certain emotions and it go, and they can literally look at your brain and see where it's affecting it. And in scripture, thousands of years ago, it says that we're three parts. Don't let that be lost on you. And so what I would encourage, and my kids pray this every night, and if I don't pray it over them, they remind me. And it's what I pray. And, and what I'd say is it's this, is it's that I command my soul and my flesh, so my, my mind, my will, and my emotions, and my physical body to submit to my spirit. And my spirit is who God created me before the foundations of the earth. It's who lives outside of the imposter syndrome. It's who lives in the eternal. And I command my spirit because I rule over that. God created me to be self-ruled. And I command my spirit to align with heavenly things. And so we pray that. And that is the prayer for when you're confronted with the imposter spirit. It is the prayer that you say, and you say, no. I command you, my thoughts, my mind, my will, my emotions, and my physical body to submit to my spirit man, period. And I command my spirit man to align with heavenly things, which means that I'm going to get my information and affirmation from where it's supposed to come from. So to close out today, I'm not going to get super fancy. I literally just want everybody to stand up. So we're going to stand up, and we're just going to close our eyes. And I want you to picture a place in your life that you operate in the imposter spirit. And it can be, for me, I'd have to think of like 43 places. But pick, pick the first one that is most manageable to take down. So here's what the imposter does, if y'all remember. So close your eyes. What the imposter does is he sets lofty goals for himself and is disappointed when he can't achieve them on the first try. So let's not think about the thing we operated in imposter syndrome that's at the base of a house. The entire house is built on it so that when we try to pull it down, we're trying to pull everything in our life down with it. Let's leave that one for later as we pull the first shingle on the roof down. And as we start to deconstruct it in a way that is life bringing to us to rebuild it rather than tear the whole thing down. And so over that thing right now, I just, I invite the Holy Spirit. He's in the room, but I invite him to manifest right now. I invite the Holy Spirit to be here in a tangible and in an honest way and in the way that transforms lives and we just speak right now. We speak to our mind, our will, and our emotions. So we just, y'all just repeat after me. Say, I command my soul and my spirit to align, I'm sorry, to submit to my, uh, <laughs> I command my, oh Lord, I'm all choked up. I command my soul and my flesh. Sam's got it. I should let him come pray it. Sam, do you want to come pray it? Come pray it, dude. Come lead us. Um, all right. I submit to my soul and my flesh. Oh, come in. All right. <laughs> to submit to my spirit and my spirit to align with heavenly things. Repeat it again. I pray that my soul and my flesh would submit to my spirit and my spirit would align with heavenly things. Pray that my soul and my flesh would submit to my spirit and my spirit would align with heavenly things. 
Alright. Pray that my soul and my flesh would submit to my spirit. And my spirit would align with heavenly things. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm glad I got choked up. I got to get Sam up here. So guys, as we leave today, I just equip you with that. So make a backwards pass. This isn't your struggle. This is the human condition. You're not the first one. You won't be the last one. It is stealing life from you. It's not giving it. And I confront right now on these people. Lord, you just spoke to my heart. The highest lie of the enemy is, yeah, it's so terrible, but it's what got me here. It's the fuel that gave me success and victory in my life. And what I would say is that's not true because that fuel is you. You're burning yourself down and emptying yourself out as a fuel that is propelling you in life. But the reality is that's not working from a place of rest and truth. And so, Father, we just pray for supernatural revelation as we leave the room today. Supernatural revelation that you would show us where we stop, where our responsibility ends, that we would be intentional people who walk in great intentionality and seek excellence in everything we do to manifest you well and to represent you well to the world. And the moment that it begins to tip and I start taking your responsibility that you'll be revelatory in that. And we speak that truth and that life over everyone here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.